Hi there, welcome to episode 30 of Paranormal Blip. This is a special episode, an absolutely incredible interview with Daz Smith. We're going to get right to it. No news for episode 30 and no archive either. We're going to go straight into an absolutely incredible discussion with um, Daz that I had earlier this evening. And Daz, thank you ever so much for your generosity and for your time. Um, it was absolutely brilliant speaking to Daz. I absolutely loved it. So here we go. This is me in conversation with Daz Smith. Okay, so it is my pleasure to uh, spend some time with Daz Smith. Um, Daz, thank you ever so much for agreeing to take part in this. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So Daz, let's begin at the obvious beginning, which is, um, you know, how you got into remote viewing and maybe um, considering your your mother's uh, kind of psychic abilities. Mm -hmm. Is yep. it possible just to kind of lay that out first, please? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm luckier than most people that I find within remote viewing in that I, I had an education all my life in, in all kinds of psychic endeavors. Um, I grew up in a household where my mother was a, a practicing uh, heater, channeler, medium, and clairvoyant. And she also ran the, uh, the local uh, spiritualist church here in, in Bath for... Uh, probably a decade or two um so i was lucky in the fact that our you know if you're lucky enough to grow up in a in a home that has a library the library we had of books were all books on psychic development um and spiritualism and you know pretty much all kinds of mysteries uh you know egypt yori getter all that kind of stuff wow. so for me i started getting an, an interest in paranormal studies um from around about the age of 10 i remember reading a series of books uh, at junior school over and over and it was you know books on the ufos and, and ghost stories that kind of thing so it was you know pretty basic stuff but it, it held my interest even then and then from the age of 15 onwards i took formal training in what i call the classical techniques so that would involve uh, mediumship channeling scrying using all different kinds of methods like crystal balls sand tea leaves tarot cards uh, um and then other things like clairvoyance you know a bit of healing a bit of mediumship and, and that kind of stuff and then uh, i got into ufo research in in around about 18 1989 uh, because we had a big wave of crop circles here in the uk which uh which you know astounded me at the time um, so I got into crop circles and then obviously UFOs follow crop circles closely behind. And at a UFO conference in Leeds in 1992, I heard a tape being played. It was a it was a taped conversation between two people in the US. And one of the US people said that he was a, a remote viewer and he worked for the government and that they could go anywhere in time and space, you know, with psychic kind of investigation. So from that point onwards, really, I made it my life's goal to learn remote viewing. And yeah, so from 1992 to present day, that, that's pretty much what I've been doing. Yeah. So that's really interesting. I mean, in my folks, I, I started doing this because my folks wrote a book about reincarnation. And they, um, so I, I was kind of brought up in a household where certainly reincarnation was just like a kind of an established fact, you know. Yeah. Um, now, 
when you heard that tape and uh, you found out about remote viewing, what what was different in terms of how you thought about remote viewing from all of the other, you know, divinations and the classical approaches? Yeah. Well, for me, from the age of uh, 15 onwards, uh, when I really started getting heavily into the psychic work, uh, on on request of my mum or on her advice, really, I started keeping a, a kind of like a psychic diary of all my intuitive dreams and, and just faults, random faults and stuff that were coming into my head. And I still have the diary now. And at the age of, I think, 15 and a half, I wrote a, uh, a page in this diary about how one day I would find this this psychic technique that, which would allow me to time travel with my mind. Um, and that wow. was in 1985, you know, seven years before I even found remote viewing. That's so the amazing. moment I actually found it, for me personally, is almost, I, you know, I can't use any other word than this is this is my destiny and what I'm yeah. doing. Yeah, everything clicked into place. It did, yes, yes. And once... once uh, I didn't know it in, in the time in 1992, but once I did a lot more research and I found out about how the, the Americans had developed specific methods for remote viewing, um, and then I tried it and saw that it really does um, allow you to be in control of psychic information, whereas all the classical techniques, generally the flow of information is in control of you. You know, it's very spontaneous. But once right. I was once I saw that the remote viewing technique that I I trained in called CRV or controlled remote viewing gave you absolute control over the process, I abandoned all the other techniques because they just paled in reflection. Yeah, and had your mother um, did it take a, a while for your mum to like find her her place, if you like? Did she try out other things before settling on? Um, so how which she was a psychic is that right yeah yeah i mean in in her in her last few years she did a lot of uh personal readings for people and she did a lot of um personal development work and even you know going to their residences and clearing um negative spirits and energies that that kind uh -huh. of work so i would say that would that was that was her end going the focus of her life doing that and she also frequented uh glastonbury every weekend and she had a she had an aura camera down there and she she used to do aura readings and pictures for people yeah. oh fantastic and so growing up in that kind of house did you ever have any paranormal experiences yeah yeah all the all the time uh, uh from a very early age i think we i was about five years old we moved from one house to the, the house i'm living in to this day because this was my parents house uh, and I've lived in this this house here now for forty plus years, and um, and we moved from that old place to this place because of uh, almost like poltergeist ac activity. But looking oh. back on it now, knowing what I know, it was probably because we were growing up in a household where my mother had abilities, and us as growing up children also started to have abilities. You know, and you find that uh, poltergeist type activity does seem to center around. Uh, you know, young children and, and children moving into their teens. Right, I see. Okay, so and and did you, so that you you do make a connection between your abilities and your your family's abilities and the activity. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so is that a, is that kind of a connection that's like others have made? Is that a common uh, relationship? 
Absolutely, yeah, and it's and it's even more so uh, of late in in some books that have been released and in the studies around um, an area in America called Skinwalker Ranch, um, and what they found with the paranormal activities that happens at this ranch. And to be honest, it's been recorded for thirty years in other books as well, uh, especially one by Jacques Vallée. He wrote a book, um, I think it was the psychic the psychic connection or something, psychic UFO connection. Mm-hmm. Um, but people have noted uh, going back now decades, but more so in Skinwalker Ranch stuff because they had scientists actually record that that uh, people that have encounters with UFOs or orbs or very strong paranormal uh, encounters, they also pass those encounters on to their family and close friends. And the scientists have even managed to study this now, and they've even managed to map the virus rate of of the exposure and how how these paranormal activities spread. That's amazing. So that's um, George Knapp's book and Tom Keller. Yes, it's in that yeah. book, and there's there's another book as well. But yeah, it's is in that book as well. Yes, right. That's incredible. I didn't know that they'd mapped it. Yes. Um. I mean, this leads on to a question that I've got. Uh, later on, but it, it, the trickster element. Yep. I I know that in a, a one of your um, YouTube videos, I think a couple of months ago, you were talking about um, the trickster in relation to a lottery winning. Yes, you remember yes. that. Yes. Yeah. Can you say something about about that or about like this kind of trickster element at all, please? Yeah, it's nothing. It's nothing that you know. I can uh, solidly say there's absolute proof for it. It's just a theory of mine, and I, I've heard other people have similar theories. But it almost seems like when we feel like we're getting close to knowing uh, what remote viewing is, or knowing what anything to do with paranormal research is, including UFO studies, um, it seems to flip on its head uh, as if there is some kind of uh, unseen guiding force that seems to have an influence on on everything that's everything that's been done and i think that's you know definitely for involves me and any any of the people out there that are trying to win or when we have tried to win you know up teen amounts of hundreds of millions on the lottery and stuff you know because i can you know i have a great rate of accuracy of and my accuracy on general targets is well over 80% accurate, you know, more than 80% of the time that I do targets. But, you know, if I tried yeah. to do a run of uh, trying to win 150 million on the Euro millions, I just don't, my accuracy rate instantly goes down. And, you know, right. wow. there has to be a reason for that other, you know. Yeah. That, that's yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there is this trickster element that seems to be involved in all kind of paranormal uh elements across the board and i'm including ufos and everything in that um it's almost like i would have to say that there is a conscious entity out there that switches things around likes to play around likes to keep us guessing right yeah and and also a kind of um suggest there's a kind of overview if you like yeah yeah okay that's really interesting um and and of course, we don't know um, really how. Is it right to say that we don't really know how remote viewing works? Absolutely, yeah. We're still we're still in the dark. I personally think it might uh, one day be unveiled that it has something to do with um, just just pure physics and and quantum, you know, 
quantum entanglement or you know, yeah. or entanglement of all things in the universe. I think yeah. I think that's the best theory that I've seen so far that seems to fit. But generally, we still we still yeah we have no idea what what's going on with any of this. So this idea that we're all connected. Yes. And also um, this idea that everything, um, like everything possible, if you like, yes. is accessible yes. um, in, different, in different ways. Different, there's different ways of getting into the field, as yes. Brian yes. Cameron calls it, accessing yes. the field. And I liken it to, you know, because I'm a 70s kid growing up, I liken it to uh, the, the Star Wars films and the Force. You know, they yeah. say there's a force that exists in everything in the universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Jedis in the Star Wars just tap into it. And that's what we're all doing as human beings. We we are all part of this force. Um, it's just that me as a remote viewer, I've spent the last uh, three decades concentrating and honing just one skill, you know, f every single week, several times a week, so that when these very, very subtle psychic impressions come into my body, um, I'm just able to, to interpret them slightly better than, than someone who hasn't spent 30 years learning how to interpret their body signals. Yes. And I've got a question about that. The, I'm interested in the relationship because you're, you're an artist. Yes. And Ingo Swan obviously painted. Yes. And... I know that there's this kind of study going on with Gary Nolan about intuition. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, one, I wonder, is there some kind of connection, do you think, between intuition and and creativity? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I'm absolutely convinced that um, being a successful, because, you know, for all of, my, uh, all of my working career, I've been a, uh, a graphic designer. Yeah. Uh, and I design logos and corporate branding, that kind of thing. And I'm absolutely convinced that the fact that I'm so good at that is because I can get inside the head of knowing what the client wants better than the next person down the line. <laughs> and yeah. the feeling the feeling I get when the inspiration for a logo or whatever it is comes to mind, you know, for a creative endeavor, and even the photography I do, the creative inspiration from that feels exactly the same as when I get uh, a creative burst uh, uh, or an inspirational burst of energy when doing something intuitive like remote viewing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that reminds me of this thing that, um, well, we now know is Gary Nolan in, um, in that amazing book, American Cosmic, which I'm reading at the moment, who's called, he's called James in that book, isn't he? But yeah. Kind of, Gary's come out saying, oh, it's me. And he talks about how, if he's got a problem, he, will kind of try to um like assemble it as best he can yeah. as he's going to bed like you know kind of going to sleep in bed yes yeah. and um and then as he puts it he kind of lets the elves work on it through the yeah. night and then invariably in the morning you know at some point the next morning we'll think oh yeah that's that's what i need to do absolutely you know? yeah it's really interesting now, recently on your um, YouTube channel, which I'm going to kind of put links on all of the things that we discuss, okay. because I'd like to discuss some of the cases, like the UFO cases, for instance, in a moment. But recently you were talking about um, flow. Somebody wrote to you about why you got the word flow in your yep. thing. And I thought it was really interesting what you said about uh, Zen in that video. 
Could you just talk a little bit about about that and how that kind of practice has come into your remote viewing practice? Yeah, please? yeah. Um, it probably reaches back for me as well because as as far you know as far as I was into uh, psychic uh, endeavors all my life, I was also a a keen martial artist as well, um, and I trained in. A normal Shotokan karate for a number of years, then full contact karate, which I got to a black belt level in. Then I did kung fu, self defense, tai chi, qigong. So I've, I've I've been involved in all those kind of endeavors for a long time. But tai chi and qigong, and even meditation uh, of a sort, they're all very similar, and they allow you to get in touch with your body and the and the, and the field, the energy field or the qi energy or you know, the force, the field, mm. whatever you want to call it. Mm. And it, so I've been doing that for probably about a decade decade or more um, and encompassing that within my remote viewing work as well. And yeah, the, the flow itself around the Zen practice, especially the Zen practice of, you know, where they draw the characters and the characters they're, that they're drawing uh, encompasses their entire feeling is very much like what we do in remote viewing with the what we call the ideogram process mm. where you know we initially get the spark of contact with the target and we spontaneously do a do a, a doodle or a sketch it all seems to be the same thing but looking from it from different perspectives in the in the world um so that's what it is for me really um i call it the fl i call what i do the flow now because um i'm trying to differentiate myself from the practice of controlled remote viewing because a lot of people within the field of remote viewing don't allow you to move outside the boundaries of what Ingo Swan taught in 1985. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel that, you know, we should be expanding what we're doing. We should be use, working more symbiotically with, uh, with the process. Um, and we're all individuals as well. So what works for me or what works for a person that I'm mentoring might not have been what worked when Ingo Swan uh, came up with, with what we call remote viewing in 1985. So yeah, I just see the whole process as a flowing process. And that's what it's like for remote viewing. Because uh, you start off with a very small spark of information. And just by investigating it, you open up this flow of information that, that kind of flows through you, flows through everything. And just allows you this, yeah, this access, access to everything in the universe. Yeah, absolutely. And I imagine that meditation is a, is a part of yes. your kind of, you, do, you meditate I, I used to meditate more. I do it yeah. less now, but that's because I've become so busy with the remote viewing. Sure. But for, for, you know, at least uh, two decades, the first two decades, I would always do at least something like a 10 to 20, 30 minute meditation before every single remote viewing session. Nowadays, I'm, I'm quite lucky in the fact that I've, I guess I've been doing it so long, I can sit down at the table where I'm going to do my reviewing. And sometimes it's just here where I'm sat right now. And I can literally just go into my mind and just calm myself. And then with just taking a, a one single deep breath, I can, you know, relax my entire body. So I can kind of bypass the entire needing to do a 20 minute meditation process. But right, yeah. med meditation for most people is, is an amazing process and it is the key to all kinds of uh, yeah. experiences with the universe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I mean, that's, it's because one of the things that I find difficult to, um, you know, comprehend is the the enormity of it all, if you like. You know, there's a kind of potential there. Yes. You know, essentially, you can place yourself at any point 
in time space yes you know, yeah. uh, the, the past the future you know anywhere yeah. like geographically and so i imagine <laughs> i mean it's a, the, the the thing about you does is that you're so um basically like you seem so totally unflusterable if that is a word you know and i'm sure that's not you know sometimes of course you're a human being you know but at the same time i, I would be so overwhelmed by it's not always imagine... the case though yeah you know right. i would say you know 10 because you get to a stage you do this and at first you're a skeptic of your own ability you're like will this work yeah. and then it starts to work and you know after you've done 100 200 experiments and they all you know the majority of them work you get to a stage where I, I, it's very hard it's almost like a, a, a you flicking a light switch the light switch goes on and you're like oh my god this is this is so real i can i can do anything i can go anywhere in time and space and then for a period of weeks or months you're on a high with that you're like oh my god the, the limit there's no limitations yeah. <laughs> um but you know after you know after working at this three, four, five times a week, every week for month after month, year after year, that kind of wears off. And at the moment, uh, you know, in what I'm doing is essentially my full-time job as well. Remote yeah. viewing is my full-time job. So yeah. I have to be honest, some of the, uh, some of the mystery of it sometimes kind of moves on and it is just like, you know, I, I am on like a treadmill of work. I do one project publish it do all the creative side of you know getting the videos out and stuff and then i'm literally moving on on to the next one so i don't have an awful lot of time to uh to contemplate that but you know sometimes sure. on in a quiet moment i'm in the shower or i'm going to sleep at night and you think on it you think you know there are no limit you know with remote viewing we found no limitations to going anywhere in time and space and getting any kind of information although you know as a caveat i do have to say that we have found, and not just me, but everyone finds that uh, looking at future stuff is inherently less accurate than looking at present and past stuff. Yes. Why do you think that might be? I think it's. I think it's probably. I think as humans, we try to simplify things too much. And I think it probably is a scale of things that is that's happening. And I think you know, for myself, um, the group of people that I'm with, for example, like crypto viewing, our business. Um, because when we look at, because every month myself and the team always look ahead a month and then put all our predictions out to the, our, to the people that are subscribing to us. So on, on, on projects like that, I feel that because we're making our data public and there are an awful lot of people paying for that data and then spreading it around, that there's a good possibility that there are people, uh, acting on that information. I feel that in some of the cases, they probably are changing the future by acting on the information that we provide up front. Right. Um, but I also think that other parts of this scale uh, that are happening is that, you know, there are, I think in the future, there's like multiple probabilities of, uh, of an event that might happen in different scenarios. And the closer you get to that event, the probabilities collapse until, you know, within yeah. half a second before that event, it's probably only one probability left. So, yeah, so I think that kind of thing happens That's as really well. That's really interesting. And I, yeah. I do, I believe as well that it's possible that people looking at things in the future might be able to influence things in the past and all different kinds of things happening out there. You know, there may even be destiny elements involved that we, we're not, you know, not just my destiny, but other people's destinies. Uh-huh. So I think, yeah, I think it's a scale of a lot of different things that are 
uh, hindering the future information being as accurate as, as predicting the you know, or looking at yeah. past and past and present. So that idea that you are you you're you're kind of uh, tasked to find out what's going to happen in a month. Yeah. You it's quite difficult to get it, but you get something, you send it off, yes. and then people act upon it before the month takes yes. place. Yes. And which means that that's one of the reasons why it was difficult to get. Yes, that's because, really <laughs> because people, you know, it's Christopher it's, Nolan needs to um watch absolutely this. <laughs> yeah because you're you, you know if people if enough people act on the information you put out yeah um, you're essentially are you are changing the future so that event you're forecasting might not happen yeah or it exactly. might happen slightly less than you've said or yeah, slightly yeah, more yeah, than yeah. Said. yeah that's really fascinating and one thing that um. That's, you know, kind of remote viewers saying, I'm sure I've heard you say it, is that everybody's got the ability, but obviously that ability is different in the same way that everybody can play football, but, you know, yes. not all of us are, you know, Harry Kane. Um, now, that's, I bring that up because I've been doing this podcast for a year, and in that time, it's given me license to talk to people about the paranormal. And I'm sure you've had, you know, 25 years of this. But for me, it's quite new, you know, right. to talk okay. to people about the paranormal. And it is absolutely extraordinary the number of people who say, well, actually, you know, yeah. and then they say, like, literally everyone I've spoken to, either themselves or someone that they totally trust, like yeah. parent or, you know, someone that's not going to muck them about, basically, yeah. has had something, you know, a wide range of different things from, you know, UFOs to ghosts to, you know, this and that. But it makes me wonder about this this question of the stigma you know and what would what what life would be like and what society would be like if that stigma was removed all of a sudden and people that have you know paranormal experiences don't feel embarrassed to talk about it essentially yeah. you know yeah um, it's just not a question really but not just a kind of thing to think about i suppose yeah absolutely it's a uh... That would be an interesting scenario. Uh, but, you know, you have to remember that intuitives or creatives or psychic people, you know, especially in Europe, they've been, you know, hunted and burned at the yeah, stake as witches yeah. and stuff for for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So if you think back to that, just think how much uh, how much ability we've actually uh, taken out of society. Absolutely, and yeah, absolutely. But, you know if you if you do research in in the, and i've read books and done research on you know some of the top ceos in business for example um a lot of them will tell you that they've got to their position or they've done the perfect deal or you know they've got their riches from mainly following their gut feeling or their gut instinct and right. that in essence is just in, it's just your intuition so just yeah. listening to your gut feeling about someone that you know you meet in the street whether you like them or you don't like them or you feel they're a little bit off yeah that's that's just as much as a, as an ability as as what i'm doing other than i've spent 30 years uh listening to my gut feeling that little bit more than the general person so yeah. Yeah. so I, I know how to read it that little bit better yeah that's really that's a really good point actually yes um one thing in terms of um like what you do in remote viewing just to i've just realized that we haven't really basically said what it is so essentially i mean you know i'm the guy to say <laughs> i don't know why i'm saying it but 
essentially you've got this um you're given a target yes target is the, the now the numbers really interest me okay. um it's not always that you're assigned numbers or is it that numbers are always involved we're generally um uh before we go there let, uh, let me just say a little bit um yeah being a remote viewer is not much different than being uh, a classical psychic or clairvoyant and stuff. The only real difference we have is that we work within a set of rules or protocols. Uh, and these rules are number one, that um, the target must, you know, the target must be blind. Yeah. So we don't know anything about the target up front. Um, number two, uh, it cannot be some spontaneous. So it has to be a project that's actually, you know, set up and recorded. Number three, the d data has to be recorded, so you know, you can verify it later. And the, the most uh, important one really is there needs to be an element of feedback after the project to assess the remote viewing against to see if you are accurate or not. So we, so essentially, I'm, I'm a psychic and like anyone else or an intuitive, but for 30 years I've agreed to do all my work within that set of rules and that makes that essentially what is what makes it remote viewing yeah um but the numbers uh, yeah so the numbers are uh, and they're just for admin purposes really they mean nothing um so if someone wants me to do a target they can't come to me and say Daz, i want you to remote view i, I don't know the london tower in the tower of bridge course, in london yeah yeah cuz they're telling you what it is yeah, so yeah. essentially they write that down on a piece of paper or they record it somewhere and they just assign a, a random set of numbers to it. And I'm given that random set of numbers to essentially work upon. And it's just for admin purposes as well. So, that, you know, if I'm talking to you, if you were my project manager, you could say, Daz, have you done target XXX1234? Mm. So it's just for it's just for that reason. And I have to be honest, a lot of the time, I don't even give, I don't even use the numbers that people give me. Right. Um, so I'll just, I'll just say, okay, I'm focusing on the target that, that Mike wants me to do. Um, yeah. I'm going to use today's date is my focus numbers. And I just write the I date. See. Okay. I see the, the thing that connects it all together. And we don't know how this works. This is where I think it's all to do with the interconnectedness of the universe is my intent connects with, if you were the tasker, your intent. Yes. And then everyone else's intent and the intent of the universe all connects in this giant web and it allows the information to flow in some way. Yeah, and that's non-local, obviously. You don't yes, yes. But because but, I, I was under the impression that the numbers were something you, you kind of focused on somehow in order to access um, things, but it's not When you're a that. beginner, I yeah, I would say when you're a beginner, you you kind of use use it as your focal point to like, imagine yourself going to target and this is something else as well um in the 30 years i've been doing this and in all my years of research and i've i've looked at hundreds of thousands of remote viewing se sessions all the ones released under the cia and the stargate you know all the ingo swan archives everything i have never seen any evidence yet that shows that a remote viewer or a psychic actually travels to a target to get information i think I think what just happens is I'm sat here at my desk and I literally just do just sit here at the desk with I used to be a, a pack of paper and a pen but nowadays I just do it on a tablet I literally just sit at the desk and I just open myself up and connect and, I, and actually all the data about everything in the universe is actually already within it within us as individuals so I'm not going out anywhere I'm just accessing the data that's actually 
interconnected within me. It's amazing. <laughs> it is, is amazing when you think of it. Yes. It yes. really is amazing. Yeah. There's no, there's no question about that. And then, and then when you're doing a remote viewing, often when I watch your videos, you say AOL and yeah. that is um, analytic overlay. Yes. So that's when you're giving your uh, interpretation of something rather than describing it. Is yeah, that, is that... it's when, because we have a, you know, I have a process where I can see it, or we record the, the information as it comes in. Uh, and the the whole premise of the technique that Ingo Swan came up with was that uh, you try to describe the targets but not identify them. Because once you try to yeah. identify them, you, that's when you make mistakes. Uh -huh. um, so if the target was a car or a bus... Uh, you wouldn't say, oh, I see a bus. You would try to say, you know, you try to say, okay, it feels like it's metallic, feels like it's long, feels like it's red, feels like it has four circular black, smells like rubber wheels, feels like this, the whole thing might be moving. It might be a vehicle. You can say vehicle because, you know, what you're describing could be a bus, but it could also be a tractor or it could also be a lorry mm -hmm. or it could be a car. Um, but we try not to say outright naming what the target is. And if you, if it does pop in your head, you know, if you do get the word pop in or the feeling pop in, this is a bus, this is a bus. We then go to the side of the paper and we write AOL, which is analytic overlay. And we just write it underneath that just as a way of recording it really and letting it, letting it escape from our minds so that it doesn't fester. Yeah. yeah. And one thing you say that you never edit yourself, you're just going to put everything down. Uh, yes, within remote viewing, you've got the right and draw every single film, never self-censor, because you'll find that, and I've done this myself in training, that you'll do a remote viewing session and you'll censor some data. You say, oh, I'm not writing that because that's just stupid. And then you'll get the feedback afterwards and, you'll, and it'll be exactly what you didn't write down. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. <laughs> um, now, what, what I'm quite keen on talking about some of the some of the cases that you've been doing in terms of UFO UFO okay. stuff, if you don't mind. Yeah, um, Before we get to that, I've got a question about um, this idea of the shadow biosphere. So the idea of, um, you know, life that we have not yet perceived yeah. um, being kind of, you know, like on, on the planet, essentially. Yes. And, of course, you know, as we get better at developing technologies that can detect things and, you yeah. know, Science is obviously constantly, you know, getting better at doing that kind of thing. Yeah. What's your impression of, because we'll talk about some of the cases with extraordinary, um, you know, targets that you, um, uh, you add. Yes. What's your impression of that idea? Like, you know, Bigelow's idea that, you know, they're right under our nose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before I got into remote viewing, uh, I, you know, with my classical psychic techniques, uh, I was part of a, a classical psychic development group. So it was a circle of psychics that used to meet once a week. And uh, we used to go off into the universe through some kind of envisioned portal to have experiences. And in 10 years of doing that, uh, I had all kinds of very strange experiences of all different kinds of, of life forms. I wrote all this up in a book called uh, Surfing Psychic Internet. But it's nothing to do with remote viewing. It's just like psychic channeling explorations but that taught me that there's just there's just a, a, a huge kind of zoo of life of all different types and shapes some good some bad all interacting not just with us here on earth but 
we have life forms on all, all different levels and yeah you know, you know they, these are physical non-physical very strange kinds of stuff yeah so i think yeah you know, i think there i think there's lots of stuff all around us um and the vast majority of what we're seeing with all the latest uap or ufo stuff i don't think that's extraterrestrial i would have i would you know, for me it's more interdimensional um yeah yeah i i think that too yeah um that's really interesting and i'll um find information about about that book that you it's it's out there i don't i don't really promote it because it's not remote viewing um but you might find it interesting because i did record all the experiences i had during psychic development and i did have these kind of ongoing um what's the right word battles maybe with with these shadowy gray type no shadowy black type life forms that didn't want us to expand our consciousness so there are ones out there that you know like like angel type guides that do want to do want us to uh to advance and do Uh want us to open up but there are also other ones out there that are trying to hinder us at the same time don't want us to uh, expand our consciousness and be part of this universal community hey that's really fascinating yes and and maybe a good way of getting into one of the cases that i want to talk to you about the first one is is jfk Okay, the yeah. incredible, I mean, absolutely extraordinary, one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen, whereby you're at your whiteboard for, this, yeah. for that particular video, um, and you follow JFK through the point where he's assassinated into the afterlife. Yes. Yeah. And, I mean, it's very, I'm sure you know, you know about NDEs, very, you know, familiar territory. Yes. people that know about you know nde testimonies yeah. um i mean i don't really know <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, there's no question really but i mean it's just i mean how i suppose what you know it does i guess jump back to that thing about the kind of overwhelming mm. the potential for it being yes. overwhelming yeah. i mean can you remember like you know how did it feel to you know have that have that experience yeah and a bit of a background on that as well that because that video is on youtube now um but that actual segment um which was recorded live it was one of the instances you know where i do where i have done and we still do on occasion do the uh you know we're blind to the target still so we have whiteboards and we do in the art remote viewing live on a whiteboard and we're pointing a video camera at ourselves as we're doing it um so it was one of those but that whole segment in that video uh, was actually uh, a film segment that was cut out of the original video that I did for Farsight because in the original video all Courtney was interested in was us as remote viewers actually getting information on the target itself which was the assassination of Kennedy yeah. so the fact that I went off you know because I literally if you, to be honest I actually went slightly off target with that one um, and you through that death process that wasn't is actually part of the target so but yeah, so it ended up on the curtain room floor, and I said to Dick Algar, who also worked the project with me, it's a real shame that this is not being seen, because, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting adventure. So we made our own video uh, of that. But yeah, you're right, it was, um, yeah, it was the only time that I've ever done that, uh, and it was a really shocking and interesting experience for me, because I don't know, and I still don't know, even after experiencing that, I have to be honest, and even in, involving all my years I did with um, um, mediumship and stuff, I still don't know 
what how I truly feel about if if there is life after death. I'm really wondering because I know that as a psychic, I can get information on anything in the universe anyway. So yeah. I'm thinking to myself, are mediums just tapping into the same information as I am, but just uh, interpreting it differently? Uh huh. So I still don't know if I truly believe in life after death. I think I'm slowly getting there, and I think that the, you know, the overwhelming wealth of information is kind of proving it to me that there is that the energy of us does uh, exist in some way after after physical death. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So when I went through that process of seeing, and you know, bear in mind I didn't know it was Kennedy when I was doing the RV session. Uh, I had a feeling it was someone being assassinated and killed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to feel the process of of someone going through panic absolute terror and panic and pain you know all these thoughts of all these things that are happening and then for that instant instantly to just disappear uh into a, a nothingness of calmness that was that was the biggest shock that that transference of of all that noise to silence uh, i think that was the most yeah the most kicking thing for me on it right Thank you for talking about that because it's incredible. Obviously, I'll link it in the in the episode description. Um, but interesting that even that experience hasn't quite crystallized it for you in terms of you know what happens next. Yeah, because remote viewing is based in science and it's all about um, recording data and then checking that data against uh, known data for you know accuracy and stuff. I consider myself to be a very amateur scientist in, in a way and in, in, you know, in trying to verify everything. Yeah. Um, and I'm, yeah, I think that's clouded my viewpoint on everything to do with uh, all kinds of intuition and all kinds of experiences. Really. I need, I need more proof and data to be certain. As I said, you know, as a person that can go out and go anywhere in the, in the universe or known universe to get information um, in real time, I don't know where the boundaries lie. I don't know if, if that's what other people are just reporting. You know, when people report past lives, are they just doing yeah. what I'm doing, but they don't know they're doing it? Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's really interesting. Um, another case is uh, Phoenix Lights, yeah. which really interests me as a, as a kind of, you know, event. Okay, yeah. Really interesting. And in that case, you had the... Well, there was this extraordinary bit where you you kind of enter the, I don't know, like consciousness or whatever, mm-hmm. of the being, like the pilot, essentially, yes. the, the being flying the craft, which again is like, you know, amazing. Can, can you speak a little bit about, I mean, again, I guess the question is like, what was that like? Or, you know, what, what are your kind of recollections of that? Yeah, to be honest, the recollections of all this kind of fade into one after a while because going into the consciousness of, of a life form at Target, that's, that's almost like an everyday event for me now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, every every week I'm looking at um, crypto and market targets, you know, looking at companies and the CEOs, and I'm always in the head of them looking to see what their oh, ideas yeah. are, where you know, how, how much money they put in, do they really feel it's confident? So... I do remember that that was interesting in that I felt that they knew I was there, even though I know I'm not actually going anywhere in time and space. It's almost like, yes, their their consciousness knew that I was looking at them. And I've never had that 
really before of of a human based life form from any of the targets that i do you know as i said every week i'm looking at ceos of companies and you know in the past i did 250 missing persons cases for the united states police i never had a feeling that any of the people or the perpetrators that i was trying to get into the mind of uh knew anything about me being there but this this life form from the phoenix lights did even though you know, there's a time difference in, you know, I was looking at it years after the event happened, kind of thing. Yeah, that's extraordinary. Yeah. That's really interesting. And, I mean, yeah, thank you for mentioning the Find Me work that you did. Because, of course, you know, I mean, not that people listening to this need to have it verified, but obviously, you know, if it's, um, uh, if remote viewing is being used by, you yeah. know, these departments across the United States, then, you know, Yes. Um, it works. Yeah, not all the time, though, you know, and we have to be honest with this. Remote viewing is, is good. It's better than, I would say, normal psychic abilities because because of those rules or protocols, we can assess on every single remote viewing how accurate it is. And, and you know, yeah. you can database that at many different levels. Um, uh, I can't remember what the figure was, but at least 30, 40 p missing people we helped find through through... The find me group and they're still working and they're still doing that kind of research now mm -hmm. i left them several years ago because after 250 of them it became a bit a bit running the mill and you know it gets a bit much week after week if all you're seeing is kind of death and mutilation types type stuff yeah, I, so, bet. I bet yeah. i bet um talking about uh craft and consciousness with roswell you spoke about um the craft having a or the, the kind of relationship between the the beings yep. and the craft and a kind of, you know, I'm not sure if you use this word, but the kind of some kind of symbiotic yes, relationship, relationship between the two. Yeah. 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 Um, any thoughts? I've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> These are well, very bad. I don't have any questions. Have you noticed that? <laughs> I've, I've had that experience on, because I've done several of these UFO stuff now, including... Um, some client-related work of, of late for, for people interested in UAP research. Uh -huh. and, and the Hitchhiker Effect as well. I did the Hitchhiker Effect uh, not long ago as well for, you know, where the paranormal effect follows you home. Right. And, yeah, but on the Roswell one in, in particular, um, and in some of the latest ones that I've done as well, it's almost like at the point of production no production is not the right word the point of creation of, of the of the uap craft or some of the uap craft uh it's it feels like the dna or or some part of the uh the life form that's driving the craft is actually in the craft and the craft not i won't say this in all cases but in some of the cases i looked at including i think the roswell one um some of these craft are you could almost consider them to be not physically alive as we know humans and stuff, but they are alive in an AI kind of sentient way. Uh -huh. And I think they're alive because there is a DNA kind of symbiotic connection there. And there is a mind connection. So, so the pilots or the people actually within these craft are actually part of the craft and the craft is part of them. Yeah. And so there's this, you know, kind of long established belief that one of the reasons why the craft, they can't get anywhere with the craft is because they don't have the 
other side of how to make the craft work. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I've read that too. So yeah, maybe they need to hire some remote viewers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. It would be amazing to to try that kind of thing. But yeah, I think that's what's happening. That that's what it feels like anyway. But as I said, you know, some of the craft that I've seen and experienced aren't you know. And I think I mentioned it on the Roswell ones. Uh, it points as it moves. It's you know it's there physically in space and time and space at one point, but then it kind of moves out of focus and it's not physically in time and space anymore. And then it's back in time and space. It moves in and out. So these craft and life forms can yeah they can be physical, non physical. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah it's hard for us to wrap our our heads around really. Yeah. See what you just said there reminds me of the aerial score. And the testimony from the kids in the playground when they were yeah. looking, and that extraordinary film that came out a couple of months ago, Aerial Phenomenon, which is yeah, amazing. And it's like, um, you know, some of the kid. Do you remember the, the the figure, the being that was kind of kept running backwards yeah. and forwards, and this this sense that was very difficult to yes. place them, basically yeah. place them in space or in you know geographically. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and the the, the final case that i would like to talk about is area 51 yeah. and when in your description of area 51 you've got this extraordinary um des describing the different layers underground it's a vast underground network yeah the different levels and different things in the levels and then you speak about um it's like some kind of being encased in a, a sphere i think is this yeah 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 and Sorry, go, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it's interesting because the last few weeks, um, there's been a little bit of kind of, not information, but there's been a little bit of uh, people talking a lot in the UAP or UFO community uh, about uh, uh, some, uh, uh, something that was around in the 70s and it was in the news back then, and it was called the Betts Sphere. And it's uh, it, the, it, these people that found this metallic sphere on their land mm -hmm and it used to follow them around and all kinds of stuff so that that's that's been emerging the last few weeks and once i saw the video on that and the description of that bet sphere it very much reminded me of the sphere that i saw at area uh, yeah at area 51 but as i said in, in when i did the session i don't think they know what they've what they've got i think you know this the sphere type object i saw with the sentient kind of ai being inside it was very much hiding and waiting uh yeah and i don't think you know it's almost like it was in storage but they don't know yeah they didn't know what they actually right. actually had and the capabilities of what that had that that had that's incredible but again you know, i can't prove i can't the, the problem with doing a target like that is i can't i can't prove any of that that data at this stage no, of course. I mean, we know Area 51 exists, and, you know, the target was giving me blinds, so I didn't know I was working Area 51. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we do have testimony from whistleblowers like Lazar and a few other people that kind of does confirm some of my data. Yeah. But the data like the sentient uh, alien sphere type thing is very much unproven at this stage. But you have, to you have to play the game of, you know, if I'm a certain percentage right on most of my other targets, then why would I be wrong on on something like something like this absolutely yeah i did an episode about bob lazar and i looked into him obviously you know, yeah. leading up to the episode and what convinced me was george george knapp talking about he had 22 people 
who could verify bits and pieces yeah. of Zar's story, and all of them were threatened, yeah. know, harassed, and they all one by one kind of backed off. Yeah, yeah. Which I was follow, extraordinary. I follow that story now since I think I heard about that first in 1989. Right. And it hasn't changed in all these decades since. And, you know, I followed him and what he's been doing, you know, as much as I could over the years. And as far as I can see, he's never tried to make any money or anything from any of this. His story has never changed. And in fact, it's probably hurt him in his in his career and everything about him more than it's ever helped him with notoriety. So, yeah. Uh, and the fact that, you know, he did, you know, when he came out of this in the early 80s, he did take... Uh, George Knapp and, and John Lear and a few others out into the desert and they did film craft yeah, yeah, over yeah, the desert yeah. being tested. Absolutely. How would he have known that information? No one else on the planet was giving that information out at that time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely so, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've so got that I'm a believer audio to of that in my um in, in the episode. Yeah. Yeah, me too, absolutely. Yeah. And also it kind of like lines up with everything we know about the UAP field. Yes. You know, like even now, like you know, twenty years later, you know. If it Absolutely. was some kind of radically different from what Azar was saying, you'd then think what's going on. Yes. But you know, all of the anti-gravity, everything essentially, yeah. you know, yeah. kind of fits with with what he was saying. Absolutely. Right, so, um, one final thing before I uh, talk about a few other things, but so one question that I have is because one one thing I'm really interested in is um, this idea of a kind of um, you know, pre-flood civilization that was, uh, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, washed away by the flood. This kind of story that pops up in different cultures all around the world, Fridavulian, I think they call it. I knew I was going to butcher that. <laughs> Fridavulian, and um, so there's this place in in Turkey. Um, where is it? Gavleki Tepe. Yeah. You know about this place. <laughs> interestingly we we just worked that as a target to really me. yeah oh my god i'm Could, not what can you I, say about it i'm not actually sure if it's been released uh yeah we did it through our crypto viewing group so our patrons or our paying members have probably seen it this is um, a good advert to become a victim <laughs> <laughs> yeah myself and three other remote viewers uh, all worked the target blind really? and we all had uh, very interesting data my, all my data was indicating on because we the what what the task wanted to know was what was the use of of the temples yeah um you know because it's it's like is it 10 or 20 extensive temples or something there yeah and they wanted to know the use and all my data was centered around uh a communication from something up high above the earth that transmitted inspiration and communication down to uh a biblical type race of of humans because you know and i had to use the words it was in like in biblical times um uh yeah it was it was this communication with this i, I don't want to say god but it was like a a tech savvy kind of godlike entity type thing that was transforming both physically and spiritually the the humans on earth at that time to 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 progress them well, that's fantastic. And how can we find out more information about this, Daz? Is it? We, um, I know there's probably traders on it on YouTube under uh, the our crypto viewing channel. 
there's, there's probably people. traders showing some of um, all of us or four of us did the remote viewing for this live on whiteboard as well okay fantastic yeah so i'll put a link in the episode yeah section. yeah I, I mean i can go away i can probably try to find you a link to some of the stuff and send it to you to it for you in corporate as i said i'm not very up on what they've done with it yet because it literally is only a few weeks old a couple of weeks ago, I, of course, I yeah. think our patrons because we have like a behind our paywall we have patrons that you know essentially subscribe to us and essentially allow us to be able to do this kind of thing yeah. they get to see the stuff first and then eventually six months to a year later it filters down and, and a lot of it does go on the internet for free uh-huh. but because it's only like a week or two old if it's up there already then yeah our patrons got it but i know there are traders that i can send you links to okay fantastic yeah i'd, I'd appreciate that please then. yeah um i mean that was my main last question to tell you the truth about it one thing maybe if you can just you know if the, the floor is yours if you like one thing I haven't spoken about is eight martinis, okay. which, you know, I don't know if you want to say anything about that, but it's this extraordinary magazine, essentially, that you, that you create. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what, how can people um, find you on social media or whatever? Or, yeah. you know, the, the, the floor is yours. Okay, yeah, yeah. The three main areas, well, four, really, through crypto viewing, um, and then there we look at crypto markets and normal markets and we make news predictions. We do the occasional mysteries target, but that's behind the paywall. So, you know, people pay for that kind of content. But, you know, that does help support me and the other remote viewers and allows us to do this full time. Yeah. Um, the other sources is 8martinis.com. Uh, that's a remote viewing magazine I've done for free for people for, I think, going on 14 years now. And I think we're just about to do something like issue 19 or something. And they're always good as a good resource. Lots of examples. Yeah. I also have a YouTube channel called Remote Viewed. Uh, there are tons of videos on there with, lead, you know, talking with all the leading people within remote viewing, really. And I also have a really extensive one of the biggest remote viewing websites with hundreds and thousands of pages of free data on, and that's uh, remoteview.com. Yeah. And your site has got an excellent search facility as well. Yes. Just want yeah. to like, big up the search facility, which is <laughs> yeah, that, really helpful if you're, you know. That's looking... Google, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because there's so much stuff on there, you know, and to be honest, it's, it's actually slimmed down. At one point, I had the entire... Uh, CIA Stargate release, which is 110,000 pages of information. But I've had to slim <laughs> some of it down now and not, not have so much online. But, you know, I, I have on my website loads of videos for people. There's yeah. all the publicly available training manuals and techniques to learn remote viewing. So it's a, it's a, a really good place for anyone to start, really. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you ever so much. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, so thank you ever so much, guys. So how amazing was that? Absolutely incredible. What a fantastic discussion. Thank you again so much, Daz. And please find links to the videos we discuss in the episode description. Now, um, if you like this kind of thing, follow me on Twitter, at Paranormal Blip. Also got an Instagram account that I've managed to ignore for about a month now, which is uh, Paranormal underscore Blip underscore podcast. And yeah, there we go. <laughs> Um, there we go. Oh, yeah. This is what I say at the end. See you later.